This morning's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 27, verses 1 all the way to 40. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. 
Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Leslie. One of the things, or a couple of things I love about our tradition of reading scripture in service is, well, first, we're commanded to not stop that, uh, keep reading the, public reading the public reading of scripture. We're called to do that. You think, well, that's just long. Second thing is, when was the last time you read that story? Probably not, maybe if you're preparing for this Sunday, but before that, probably it's been a while. And the third thing is, I love that by the end of the book of Genesis, we will have read the entire book of Genesis inside this room in this, this sanctuary here, and to those people who have been here every week, you'll have heard that read. I just love that idea. Add to that, our growth groups will be discussing these passages this week. Well, we come back to Jacob, one of the strangest characters in the Bible, I think, really. 
but, but, but relatable in a lot of ways to just the common, our common humanity. The subtitle of this series, our series we're going through, really fits him, A Story of Struggle and Grace. He, the theme of Jacob's life was, he was always struggling, struggling with something, usually struggling for a, a, a blessing, and so much so that in a few chapters, we're going to see him wrestle God and say this. Uh, God will, in the form that he's in in that moment, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he's wrestling and struggling for grace and a blessing. Jacob was a man also who had more struggle and doubt than anyone really in the Bible. He really goes through these next these chapters that we're going through. He really doesn't have a chapter that he comes out of looking that great. He just doesn't. Abraham did, you know, had some good and bad, and, uh, you know, the, uh, Isaac too, some good and some bad, but Jacob, not so great. In this morning's story, this family, Isaac, Rebekah, and their two sons, Jacob and Esau, actually none of them come looking out great, do they? You're reading this story, we're reading it going like, this is a family? It's a family? In fact, this story, I was reading this week, and I think this story kind of like would be a really binge-worthy Netflix family drama. <laughs> it just is like messy. At the center of this messy family story is the, the, the desire of every family member now to get the blessing for their own desired purpose and the person to whom they would like it to go to. Remember, uh, Rebecca loves Jacob. Isaac loves Esau. The blessing that was given to Abraham and then to Isaac and then would be passed down to his sons. And what results this morning is a sad display of family disintegration, fragmentation, and, and really, even especially on Isaac's part, a willful ignorance and disobedience to God's word and God's means. There's really two issues at the center of this drama today. Here they are, right up front. It's the importance of this blessing we're going to talk about. And really, another piece is the the parental favoritism they show that derails this family. It's a mess this morning. But we're also going to see a dazzling display of grace. So we're going to look at four truths about blessings this morning. Four truths about blessings this morning. Let me just kind of give them to you up front. We're going to talk about the need for blessing, our attempts at achieving blessing, the danger of like losing your soul for a blessing and the one place you can actually get a blessing. So hopefully you've got your outline. Let's start with our need for blessings. You've got your outline open there in Scripture uh, that this story shows us. We all know deep down inside, you know it, you need God's blessing. Deep down inside. That's one of the most important things about us understanding this story is to talk through and unpack a little bit for a few moments the idea of God's blessing, the idea of the Old Testament blessing. It's really foreign to us. In fact, we don't really actually, unless you've really looked into this, we don't really understand this at all. For us, a blessing, what would it be? You might say blessing at, or grace at, at dinner time. Usually it might be somebody says something nice about us and we kind of makes us feel good and blessed. Uh, for most of us, we equate blessing with a, uh, however we, you would define the successful Christian life of family, friends, faith, church, finances, the good life as we define it. We're blessed. 
But you know, the New Testament actually doesn't equate blessing with material stuff at all, really. It just doesn't. Now, of course, those are good things from God, but it doesn't equate the idea of blessing with the material as a lot of us would define it. And you know, too, some of the richest people in the world who don't know Jesus still have tons of problems, don't they? Sometimes more, sometimes much more, as money doesn't buy blessing and happiness. Our understanding of blessing, it's probably kind of shallow compared to what they're thinking here in this story today, or perfunctory at best, and yet we all know we need it. Deep in your heart, you know you need it. Look at the lengths this family was willing to go for this blessing. Look what they're willing to do. In the Bible, in the ancient Hebrew culture now, thinking back and trying to transport ourselves there, the blessing of the firstborn was really important. It was somewhat like a last will uh, and testament. And doesn't, I mean, doesn't the family inheritance sometimes bring out the worst in families? Some of you have been through that, and you know, you're shocked sometimes how people will act when it comes to the blessing and the inheritance and the finances and who's going to do what with grandma's vase, you know, like that can get really messy, can't it? It was kind of like an ordering of the future for this family through words. It was the power of a strong, a loving, and encouraging word spoken over the firstborn by the person who knew that firstborn best. In this case, it was their father, their father Isaac. The transference of this blessing was huge. It meant so much to these ancient families. Now, this wasn't some like this magical spell. It's not that. We're not getting at some magical uh, incantation by some really like ignorant people that thought they could give magic spells. No, no, no. But I want you to think for a moment of the power of a parent's words in the life of their child. Think about that for a moment. When you've got a general pattern in the life of a child of words of truth and blessing and hope and life, there's a fruit that comes from that, a lasting impact, isn't there, that those words can bear on the child, on their soul, you might even say. And conversely, if you spend your parenting years or grandparenting years putting down or cursing in a sense, your child or grandchild with negative words, that shapes their life too, doesn't it? There is power in the words we say and speak. I've got a little plaque in my office that says words matter because they do. They matter. It's powerful. And we all crave this kind of really important blessing. One commentator said I was reading this week, he changed the nursery rhyme to sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my soul. There is power in words we speak. And our story today just assumes that once the blessing is out there, it's like abiding, it's certain. He said it, it's done. They just sort of assume that. Look at verse 28 and 29. May God give you the dew of heaven. There's the blessing. And the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine and let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. 
and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Yes, there it is. The words, the words of the blessing that point to the fact that each and every one of us, we desire, we crave, we need someone to bless us. We need a voice from outside of ourselves to speak blessing over us. Nobody can bless themselves. We just can't do it. I have a tradition in our family where at nighttime we say a blessing over each child, a scripture. And it's come to be the, uh, you know, that when I don't do that, our kids know they can't just say it to themselves. They say, Am I going to get a blessing, Daddy? You have to say it over someone, to someone, speak it to them. In the ancient families, the firstborn would receive the blessing. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit strange for us today in our day of, you know, the equality between our children. And, and, and I'm not saying it was right necessarily, but the father would dote on the firstborn and pour into the firstborn because his family name, his family's land, the family's future was tied up into this firstborn. This is Esau for this family. He was powerful. He was a man's man. He was a hunter. He loved the fields. He was the natural firstborn who should get this blessing, you would think. And when Jacob comes to Isaac, he says, who are you? Tell me who you are. This is important. Tell me, who are you? He's old. He's blind, remember? He's maybe at the end of his life. And, 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 and Jacob lies to him and says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Just like he gets through it really quick. It's like a lie. He's just got to get out and get it out there and move on to something else. He so desperately as he stands face to face with his father, wants to hear him say, I bless you, my firstborn son. You're so valuable to me, to this family, and uniquely valuable to me. Oh, yes, I give you the inheritance. All that I have is yours. Oh, Jacob wanted that. But Esau would have been the natural one to get it. How desperately Jacob, probably growing up as the second born, not the first, how desperately throughout life do you think he wanted his father to look at him the way he looked at Esau? Maybe some of you felt that way. Second best, third best, you felt like you were the ugly duckling. How desperately he probably wanted that. I mean, isn't this a picture of a lot of us, or maybe all of us, and all our efforts in life? We just want someone who matters to look at us and say, you are okay. You're okay. To bless us. I was talking to a friend of mine this week about, uh, he was talking about some of the counseling he's gone through. He's been getting, and him and his wife, for ministry and marriage challenges. And he said to me, he said, you know, the, uh, you know actually, I think first though, a counselor is, is kind of like someone we pay to bless us in a way. They're professional. We pay them to bless us. They, they speak meaningful words over us in a way. And that's good. That's, I mean, it's not bad. It's not wrong. But he said to me, he said, you know, the best kind of counselor is the one who doesn't give you the answers, but lets them find you yourself. And I thought, as he said that, that's just not true. That is not true. That is our wor- world's way of thinking about the blessing. Find meaning within. Seek your answers and your worth within. You bless yourself. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say to you, you bless yourself. Your self-worth comes from you. I want to tell you, that's a ridiculous idea. 
But it's the idea of our world. The best counselor is the one that doesn't tell you anything, lets you find all the answers within. The best counselors are the one who take the truth of God's word and point you back to it. That's the best counselor. Points you back to it, speaks it over your life. We all know the blessing comes from outside ourselves, not from within. You know you have a deep need for this blessing. Look at this story. Look at this story. And look at your life, all the ways and all your efforts in life. Most of them have been about trying to get someone really important to say to you, ah, the dew of heaven and the fatness of earth are yours. It's yours. You want to hear them say, I love you like no one else. You are the one. This story, and Jacob in particular, points us to the fact that you and I have a deep need for someone to bless us, to tell you you're okay. Let's look at our second truth about blessing. Let's look how the seeking of the blessing now, because we know it's really important and you all, we all want it deep inside our hearts, someone to speak, someone of significance and worth to speak over our lives. Let's look at the second, how it blows up this family. Here's the second truth about blessing. We all have ideas on where we think God's blessing should go and how it can be achieved, how we can achieve it or achieve it for someone else in the case of this story. Look how they all have their own ideas of how they can achieve the blessing and where it should be directed. Now, remember, this is really important. Each and every one of them already knows that God has promised the blessing to Jacob the younger. Remember the verse from a a couple weeks back, Genesis 25, 23, it was an oracle, a prophecy that God spoke to Rebekah about the children. Two nations are in your womb, the kids. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The entire family knew this truth. God had already chosen that uh, Jacob would be the one to get the blessing. The older shall serve the younger. Jacob was the younger. It's flipped upside down. It's backwards. So Isaac today, in his own plans to direct the blessing, is going to directly disobey God's word and to attempt to redirect it to Esau. He knows this truth. The one he thinks really deserves it. Because remember, Esau is his favorite. And for what reasons? Look at verse 3 with me. Now take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me, prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Go get some good food, Esau. Hunt game, delicious food. I love it. Let me eat it so I can bless you. The way to Isaac's heart was his stomach. This is the pillar of the family of God. He knows it's supposed to go to Jacob. But because he loves Esau's good food, He wants it to go to him. And now Rebecca, she thinks she can scheme for the blessing. She thinks it can be, she actually thinks it can be taken away from Jacob, which is kind of absurd. It's already been promised by God. She knows it. She heard it. And she goes so far as to say to Jacob, you know what? I know you're worried. If this doesn't work out, your punishment is on me. I'll take the curse for you. That's that's pretty chilling. 
That's pretty shocking. Remember, this is a family now. She reminds me of James and John's mother who said to Jesus, please, please, just let one of them sit at your right hand. Come on, just let one of them sit. Let him sit at your right hand. Esau thinks he can beg for it. He knows too. It's supposed to go to Jacob. He thinks he can beg for it after it's been given. It can't. He reminds me of those who will say to Jesus someday, we did all this good stuff for you. Let us in heaven. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And Jacob, Jacob, he knows the promise. And he says, I'm going to dress up in a costume. And I'm going to lower my voice a little bit and hand dad a, a, a medium rare steak. Dad, it's Esau. It's me. To try to get the blessing. Do you know Halloween is the second only to Christmas and spending? Did you know that? Halloween now is second only to Christmas in spending. In 2019, it was expected Americans would spend almost $9 billion on costumes and Halloween paraphernalia-related stuff. That averages out to like $86 a person. Halloween, second to Christmas. We love to dress up. We love to make an appearance as someone else. I was talking to one of my kids this last week, and they were uh, kind of stressed over what to dress up for uh, at Halloween. And me, as the naive dad, was like, just like wear black and tape some glow sticks to your body or something. <laughs> or like, how about like a profession? Dress up like a, I don't know, a doctor or a teacher or something. And my, my child was like, dad, come on. Like, seriously? I think there needed to be some real thought behind the costume was what I think they were getting at. Who do I want to present as? Who do I want to identify as? How do I want others to see me? There's got to be some thought behind this. Jacob put on a costume for his father. He went into hiding, actually. He's a picture of the human race. Jacob is a picture of the human race. Because we all hide at times, and many, actually lots of times, we don't want people to see our flaws, we don't want people to see our mistakes, our fears, our weaknesses, especially in church, right? Put on a costume. What have you done in life to get the firstborn blessing? What have you done to, 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 to look like something maybe you're not? Just to have somebody important say, you're great. You're okay. I love you. When I was discerning my call to ministry in my early 20s, um, much of my sincere call, which I believe is a sincere call to ministry, but early on in those years, much of it was really mixed with a deep internal desire of my own to get the blessing. Much of what I did early on in ministry was just to get one of my mentors, who you saw all about three of them here, they preached. Much of what I did early on in my ministry years was just to get one of those guys to say to me, good job, Jeff. Well done, Jeff. Oh, you're gifted, Jeff. Oh, you did such a fantastic job. Look how God is using you. And you know what I realized pretty quick? That was not enough to sustain me in ministry. That was not enough to sustain me. And it was actually self-serving. 
Isn't God gracious to use my own self-serving interests along with a, ge- a sincere call to ministry to actually put me in ministry? That's God's grace. A lot of it was just mixed, mixed uh, motives on my own to get the blessing. Self-serving. I needed God's blessing. I, I needed to know He wanted me to do this. How much of life is putting forward a, a false identity for you? A costume a mask, so that people will bless us, say good things about us. Maybe it's taking a job for a status when you hate the job. Maybe it's marrying someone for just their looks over their character and content of their heart. Maybe for you it's coming to church. Makes me look like an upstanding, obedient person. But if I, I, I'll let them in a little bit, but if I take off the entire mask and I let them see how messed up I really am, they'll think I'm wacko. Youth, our our young teenagers, maybe for you it's making fun of somebody in a large crowd so people think you're really funny and witty. The blessing that comes with that. Or maybe for you it's pretending you always know the answer, that seems smart, I know somebody that when you give them a thought, they always go, well, I don't know about that, but let me tell you what I really think. You know, always needing to be right and heard. Isn't this so much of what you and I do actually to get someone to say, wow, you're, you're just great, you're special? Or how many, much, many of our conversations lately even have been sort of tested, where we've tested the waters as we step into them to make sure we're okay? You know, or are these... Maskers, non-maskers, vaxxers, non-maskers, liberals, conservative, Christians, non-Christians, and then we adjust our behavior and words accordingly. Haven't we all done that? We've all been doing a lot of that lately. Because we just want the blessing of others. We just want them to look at us and go, you're okay. And we know how to get it. Put on a costume. This family went to amazing extremes to try to direct and manipulate this blessing. It's our second truth. Let's look at the third. There is actually no blessing in gaining the world if you forfeit your soul in the process. That kind of blessing, just the blessing of others or the blessing as they tried to get it, is not worth selling your soul for. When Jesus told the disciples he must suffer and die to receive the blessing, what did Peter do? Peter, Peter, Peter rebuked him. Peter had ideas of how the blessing of the firstborn might come through might, through strength, through power, through a costume. Let's put on the strongman suit. Peter said that to Jesus when Jesus said, no, the blessing comes through death. The the Son of Man, the Messiah, must suffer and die. Peter rebukes him. He had his own ideas. But Jesus said to him in that same uh, section of Scripture a little later, what will it profit us if we gain the whole world but lose our soul in the process? Peter wanted the world. Let's take it back. Let's get it. But the blessing was going about the wrong way to get it. Well, the prophet said, uh, as Jesus said, if we gain the whole world, Peter, to lose our soul. 
Do we really want to give up the soul of the thing for the temporary earthly gain, Peter? To gut it from the middle because we're going to go about the quick way, the fast way, the expedient way? Look at this family. Poor Isaac. Poor Isaac. He knows the promise, and yet he disobeys God to gain the world for his son Esau. He loses his soul in the process to gain the world for his son Esau, where he thought the blessing should go. Poor Esau, think about him. He becomes so upset that later on in the story, he says, I'm going to kill my brother. We've heard that before in the book of Genesis, haven't we? A reoccurring theme throughout the book of Genesis, fratricide. I'm going to kill my brother. Think of Rebecca. She's willing to take the curse on herself or her son. Don't be afraid, Jacob. I will take the blame if you get caught. You know what ends up happening? She actually ends up never seeing Jacob, her beloved son, again. He flees for his life, as we'll see in the coming weeks, and she dies before he returns. How tragic. Gaining the world and giving up your soul in the process. Both Rebecca and, and, and Jacob now, they actually didn't gain anything through this process of deceiving their brother and their father. He'd already been promised the blessing. He actually gained nothing he hadn't already been promised and given by God. It's such a sad picture. Here comes Jacob. He had always wanted the love of his father as the firstborn when he was the secondborn. And here he is before him, and he's staring at his father, and he just wants the blessing from his father. And in verse 26, Isaac says, come here so I can kiss you. And verse 27 lets us know, you know what? It was, that was just about a final test so we could smell him. It had nothing to do with the kiss. And Jacob finally got the look from his father, from his face that he always wanted. Do you think it blessed him? No, he's lying. He's a fraud in that moment. It wasn't him. He was in a costume. It hurt him, actually. He lied to his father multiple times there. He blasphemes God there. Did you catch that? Hey, Esau, how'd you get the food so quick? Remember, it's Jacob. How'd you get the food so quick? Um, God got it for me, Father. He blasphemes God in the process, gaining the world and forfeiting your soul. And now he's got to flee without family, without money, without possessions to a strange land, leaving behind his mother, who he will never see again, alive. When you think you have to dress up to get the blessing, you're never really blessed. You're not blessed. Do you see? You can't work to get the blessing. So what do we do? What's the answer for the deep craving of every human heart, every without excuse? What's the answer? I mean, the story ends pretty depressing and devastating. I said it's like a good um, Netflix family drama to binge. So what's like the, the moral of the story, the moral of the tale? Is it just be better parents? 
Don't favor one child over the other. Make sure you highlight all of their gifts and give them great self-esteem, and that's the way to go about it. Well, we know that's not the answer, because so many parents with great children still grow up and are neurotically putting on costume after costume to just get somebody to finally say they matter and notice them and they're okay. Well, that can't be the moral of this story, although it's good not to favor one child over the other. They'll do better in life probably that way. But what about you today if you're feeling like, well, my kids are already gone and you feel like you've already screwed them up? (laughs) What about you? What's the hope for you in this story? There's no hope for you in this story if that's how you feel. If that's the moral of the story, be a better parent to your kids. Be like, or don't be like Isaac and Rebecca. There's no hope for any of us in this story if that's the moral of the story. Be like the heroes, because they're not very heroic, are they? Derek Kidner and other commentators have caught it for us. So Esau comes in after the ruse. He comes to his dad. The true firstborn is revealed, and Isaac becomes like apoplectic, you know, just like frenzied almost like he's having a seizure there in that moment, just shaking in anger as he figures out what happens. Verse 33 with me. Then Isaac trembled very violently violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came? I, I, I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. He trembles. I can't believe it. I've been tricked. I can't give it to you, son. He already has the wine and grain. And then there's an epiphany. It's subtle. We can read right over and not see it. When he says there, and yes, he shall be blessed. In that moment, we are meant to see in Isaac a surrender. And in that there is hope for us. There is a surrender there. And the hope is is that there is actually only one place to receive the blessing of the firstborn. It's our last truth this morning in this passage we're going to pull out. And yes, he shall be blessed. And that is the hope, that God's blessing is by grace alone. Not how expensive your costume looks. Not how grand it makes you feel. Think about this. Jacob is the most unlikely person so far in all the Bible, in the book of Genesis, to be the chosen one. And yet here we are. Here we are. It means that God's grace can use our mistakes, can use your failures, can use the crooked turns in your life, in your children's lives, and can make the road straight himself. That's what Jacob means. That's what Isaac's words mean there. He's the most unlikely recipient of God's blessing as the firstborn. He's probably, Esau's actually much more likable than him. And most commentators actually think the writer of Genesis actually likes Esau better than Jacob in the way he writes. And yet Jacob is the one who gets the blessing. Most unlikely. 
So if you're believing today, well, I messed up my kids, there's no hope for them, or the opposite, if I just parent perfect enough, they'll have the blessing, that's just not true. God can take the most unlikely person and turn them around. He's doing it right here in this story with Isaac and Jacob. God is working through absolute grace, not your performance, through grace alone. And here's where Kidner's helpful. Uh, Derek Kidner, he's a commentator. He says that when Isaac says, ah, yes, and he shall be blessed, here's what he says. It expressed more than mere belief that the spoken word is self-fulfilling. He knows that he, that's Isaac, he's been fighting against God as Esau has, and he accepts defeat in that moment. He remembers the word of the Lord. Esau will serve Jacob. The older will serve the younger. And he stops resisting grace. He stops resisting God's path, God's means, God's choice, God's way. And he's undone in that moment. He's undone. He stops thinking he can earn and direct the blessing. Don't you want that? Christians, don't you want that? Or how about those of you that today, you're thinking, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, I, I get it, pastor. You're saying like, yeah, I want that. I have that feeling. I want somebody to tell me I matter in life. I want somebody really important to tell me I matter in life. A lot of what I do is to get that. To know that you have the approval of the most important person in the world. Don't you want that? Doesn't your heart just crave that? There's only one place that will satisfy that crave. One place to receive the blessing of the firstborn. There's only one place to get that kind of blessing, that kind of assurance that you are okay, that you're okay, that things are going to work out actually ultimately in the end, that you don't need the approval of the world around you. And in fact, you're so blessed actually that now you have the freedom to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing to those around you as Abraham was. So secure in it, because you don't have to strive. You could give it all away if it's by grace and still have the blessing. You could give everything down to the last penny away and still have the blessing. You could look like the biggest failure ever to your peers and those around you or even those in this church and still have the blessing if it's by grace. You know those deepest heart longings? You know what they really are? They're really just longings to get back to the garden. What was that song? It was Crosby Stills Nash, trying to get back to the garden. Where do we look on the Father? Where we, where we looked on him face to face. And, and where we knew in that moment he was pleased with us. And we did know in that place, in that garden, how much we mattered to him. And you can know that again. You can know that today, right now. See, the blessing does come to Jacob. He does get it. He does get the blessing. You know who he becomes? He becomes this man named Israel. His name is kind of changed by God when he wrestles with him. We'll get to that. He becomes Israel and has 12 sons. And from one of these sons, you know who it is? Comes the Messiah, Judah. From his son, Judah, comes the firstborn blessing. And the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior. And, and, and this one, Jesus, he came. He was the blessing. 
He didn't have to buy some costume to put on. He didn't need to do that to be okay. He was okay as he is, as he was when he came. No front, no mask did he need to put on. He had to put on human flesh. He had to put on human flesh. And in fact, actually, without that costume of human flesh, he looked better, actually, before he put that on. He had to humble himself, it means. He had to humble himself and put on our flesh to be made in our sinful likeness so that he would take the curse on the cross. Rebecca, you can't take the curse for Jacob. You, you can't take the curse for Jacob. Only the true and better Rebecca could do it. Christ, as he put on, on flesh, just like you can't earn the firstborn blessing. He had to put on flesh so that you and I could be freed from all that treadmill, hamster wheel, whatever you want to call it, striving to finally matter, to be freed from our efforts to earn the firstborn blessing with our own costume, our own efforts, our own scheming that we've all lived lifetimes through. And so through repentance and faith, do you know what you could do? You could put on the one piece of clothing that ultimately matters. The one piece is righteousness. So that his righteousness can be put upon you. The father in this case walked away from the boy, from his son Jesus, so you could have the firstborn blessing freely by grace. There will be a day, and this is for everybody to think of, you call yourself a follower of Christ today or not, there will be a day when you have to stand before the heavenly father, like Jacob did before his earthly father. But this father won't be blind. In fact, he'll see you with penetrating eyes like no one else has ever seen you. In fact, he actually sees you that way way now, but someday you're going to have to stand in front of him like Jacob did. There will be no putting on a fraud there. No costume will cover you up there. There'll be no amount of works you can stitch together or goodness to feel okay in that moment. The only thing you'll want him to see is not your shabby goat hair you've got glued to your arm. Isn't that ridiculous? But Christ's righteousness is a robe about you. That's what you want him to see. And when he does, he'll see the blessing. You'll look at the Father and he'll finally say, well done, good and faithful servant. Pam, Bob, Jeff, Richard, Sarah, Ron, Cassie. He'll look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. See you face to face. He'll see the very depths of your soul down to the marrow of your bone, and he'll look you in the eye. You know what he goes on to say in that passage? The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed, there it is, by my father. Inherit, there it is, firstborn, the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's good news, isn't it? 
that make your heart sing a little bit today? That's the blessing. That's how you get it. That's how it's already been secured for you from the foundation of the world. And we get to look at and remember and think about today in the unique way of the Lord's table, of the 